Hello and welcome to From the Platform episode 10. I'm Tom. And I'm Naomi. This episode is all about personality or psychometrics. That sounds terrifying. The focus of our podcast is to understand ourselves better, to have better self-awareness, so that we can have conversations and understand why conversations make us feel a particular way. Or why people might react to you in certain ways. Yeah. And throughout this entire podcast, we're kind of getting more and more towards the idea that you can't really change other people. And science and psychology kind of puts forward the idea that how we are is predetermined by our genes. We're predisposed to be a certain way because of our DNA sequence. So recent scientific discovery has shown who we are, our personality, our moral taste buds, the tribes that we fit in and find and seek out are actually more to do with our nature than to do with our nurture. And what science is that, Tom, for the people who get very dubious of when science is quoted? So I'm referencing the work of Robert Plomin et al., uh, he has a book called How DNA Makes Us Who We Are. These are also ideas that are picked up by Jonathan Hyatt in the book that we reference quite a lot, which is um, The Righteous Mind, and Jordan Peterson, um, eminent psychologists of that type. Yeah, I find it really weird because I think I've always thought of things as being nurture rather than nature. That makes a lot more sense to me. And also because you get into slightly dodgy political grounds, don't you, when you start saying things are nature rather than nurture mm. kind of the extreme end of that is like eugenics and stuff like that yeah. so i think it which is it why clashes after, with my yeah. own political leanings and also after like world war Two, when that obviously spawned into the horrors of what the nazis did all of that research kind of got mm. it wasn't fashionable at all to do that and kind of, of thrown in a hole yeah and it's only recently that people have more sensitively looked at what all this stuff means because yeah we've had a whole whole bunch of history that's really inhibited our research into this area mm. and it is really important because i think i was talking to you about i was reading a book about sure start centers which is a children's center it was a government initiative to just give loads of support to children and families in the early years because the idea is that early intervention is most important to prevent you know speech and language delay and cycle of poverty and that kind of thing so like if it was pure nurture then you could just throw loads and loads of money into all these early year schemes train up all the parents do loads of amazing early year stuff but some kids will just have an inherent um learning difficulty or developmental language disorder or dyslexia and these kinds of things that no amount of nurture will they're just kind of wired that way or, you know, they'll have autism and their brain will be wired that way. And of course, loads of nurture and environmental stuff can help, but there's only so much that it can help. So in terms of making policy, it's really important to kind of know both sides of that research. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, as um as weird as I find it, it's definitely something that yeah. you should think about. I think we probably touch on this in every episode, but yeah, it's just kind of what your expectations are of other people, isn't it? And Mm. I think if you've also got the idea of someone is perhaps just hardwired into this type of mindset and to maybe this personality type that we're going to go into, yeah, it kind of stops you maybe being disappointed in them and knowing Mm. how far to take it. But also I think really should make us stop the kind of incredulity that we have when we talk about people. 
realizing that these are just their inherent characteristics mm-hmm. and we shouldn't gossip about people in that way and mm. laugh about them as if we can't believe that they're acting like that when actually there's loads of loads of very solid reasons why they would be acting like that yeah. and we should treat each other with mm. more respect and love really caught myself doing it the other day oh yeah i mean we all do it yeah yeah <laughs> okay so um what are, what are we talking about with personality here then? We've all heard of personality tests, things that you can do without answer a bunch of questions mm-hmm. and at the end it pops out a little cartoon of a person that says, you're an explorer. Sporty Spice. You, <laughs> you're Justin Bieber. <laughs> and uh, some of those are based on no science at all. Um, Indeed, Sugar Magazine. Uh, very disappointed to find out. <laughs> it's a very niche cultural <laughs> reference for our worldwide audience. So yeah, we all we've all kind of experienced personality tests, but there are they, they do have a background in something that has been developed scientifically through observation. Well, some of them do. Some of them yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. You got to find the good ones. Yeah, yeah. And I think the initial reaction to a personality test is thinking that it's something that's a silly uh, horoscope almost. Yeah, it's just it's just something very light-hearted, which yeah tells you which Spice Girl you are or which haircut to get. Whereas I think you, the things that you've looked into, there are certain ones that have quite a lot of study behind them, but other yeah. ones that you'd think are quite good, like the Myers Briggs yeah. test, actually aren't that good and stuff yeah. like that. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with the personality test, no one ever set out to kind of work out whether all of our characteristics distilled into categories it was more of an observational method over time it was actually based in in language because you can't measure for these things particularly it's about um observing the language people use to describe themselves or or how they would react in different situations so they'd ask hundreds of questions and they'd find that if people said that they smiled a lot they'd also say that they were happy they'd also say that they were very positive or another example is if they people said they were scared a lot, they, they wouldn't like to go on fast rides, they wouldn't like new experiences. The classic one would be, do you find do you find social situations exhausting or exhilarating? Right? And the people that would say it was exhausting would also answer a certain other set of questions in the same way. The people who said it was exhilarating would answer another set of questions in the same way as well. And from that you get the extrovert, introvert trait and can separate things out and all of these questions asked kind of grouped together and and it was observed that you could distill what was behind these questions into five personality traits called the big five and they are conscientiousness neuroticism agreeableness extroversion and openness and they come from two main traits which is plasticity and stability so plasticity is when you're open to and you find enjoyment from new and novel experiences. Mm, so that's not being threat averse. Yeah, so you've got two opposites there. You've got enjoying new experiences, that plasticity of being able to like adapt to things quite well, or you've got um, uh, threat aversion, which is this stability from staying within your comfort zone. And from those two main things, you get the big five. I believe that those two starting points, plasticity and stability, are based on how much dopamine and serotonin you have. And that's kind of a, a measure that's kind of dictated from birth. It's like a, it's in your DNA, how much serotonin and how much dopamine is in your body. Mm-hmm. Dopamine leads you to have more plasticity. 
serotonin is that kind of hormone that, that rushes through to kind of make you threat adverse. So if you have less serotonin, you're more likely to take risks. Mm-hmm. And so from stability comes three of the traits, which are conscientiousness, neuroticism, and agreeableness. And those are the three things that give you stability in your life. So conscientiousness is that trait of being orderly. Neuroticism, that's one where you will withdraw from emotional situations, have a lot of threat aversion, be very cautious. And quite sensitive, like feel things very Mm -hmm, strongly. mm -hmm. And then uh, agreeableness is how willing you are to go along with other people, I guess. Um, because of your politeness or because of your compassion so if you're a very polite person you will maybe not want to get into an argument because you'd rather not upset things cause divisions and keep that stability Mm. so that's conscientiousness neuroticism and agreeability those are the three that come out of that serotonin led stability hormone and then out of plasticity comes uh, extroversion which is enthusiasm and assertiveness And the other one is openness. So how open you are to new ideas and how able you are to think through new ideas without them triggering any threatened version from you. So apparently one of the ideas behind these three things that come out of stability, conscientiousness, neuroticism and agreeableness, is to do with how our ancestors dealt with disease and pathogens. Obviously, in our history, we've been more at risk of disease than we ever have been without antibiotics. And some of these things led from wanting to protect yourself from, yeah, from disease. Um, also being cautious about what you eat at a time when you maybe would be foraging. There is all sorts of things that you, you can't eat. And that comes from that lifestyle. And then the openness and the extroversion comes from that kind of, well, we need to explore new territories, we need to expand, we need to maybe when there's a drought or a famine, we need to think about different food sources. And that sort of group of person pushed those new boundaries. And, you know, obviously those those two sides of that coin have their benefits during different seasons of when, when, when diseases roaming the earth or when you need to actually kind of find new sources of food. So what's the example of agreeableness? I'm interested in that one. So agreeableness, you can be agreeable because you're either polite or because you're compassionate. And Ah, either one of those things will mean that you um, embody this trait of agreeableness. So you're either agreeable and go along with something because you have have maybe a sense of duty that you just have to kind of do it and be polite to everybody. Or maybe you go along with it because you're like, oh, this means a lot to these people. I'm going to really help them with something. So even though you can label someone as neurotic, agreeable, conscientious, actually it might be coming from quite different places. Yeah, yeah. Mm. so it could be classed as an extrovert because you're either really assertive or really enthusiastic. And I think I'm an enthusiastic extrovert, but you can also get assertive extroverts people that have quite a lot of presence and power and can maybe dominate a situation and lead a situation because of their assertiveness. Mm -hmm. Some people can 
push a situation along or, or carry out an idea because of their enthusiasm for the, for the, mm-hmm. for the idea. So let's maybe summarise what we've said so far. Our personality stems from two main kind of biological start points. Our level of serotonin, which dictates how much stability we need in our lives. And our level of dopamine, which dictates how... um, How much kind of adventure and novelty we need in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Or can cope with in our lives. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a certain amount of stability perhaps... I can't cope with and need to cause chaos to kind of shake myself out of things. So, yeah. And those two start points are like the trunks of a tree that branch out serotonin and stability branch out to agreeableness, neuroticism and conscientiousness and plasticity branches out to extroversion and openness. And each one of those five character traits is dependent on another two things as to why you embody that character trait. So you're either agreeable because of politeness or because of compassion. Over time last year, we both did one of those like questionnaires to have a look at what our big five traits are. Mm-hmm. And also, I've just remembered because I'm looking at it in my notebook, the acronym is Canoe or Ocean to remember mm-hmm. them. So like C for conscientiousness, A for agreeableness, N for neuroticism, O for openness and E for extroversion. That was it. So, Tom, we got... I was quite high in conscientiousness and you were not very high. We were both kind of... that practically, that's very true of us, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I'm aware that I'm not particularly orderly. I like to do things quite spontaneously, kind of on a whim. I'll start a lot of things, but I'm not particularly good at finishing them. Whereas if... Mm -hmm. If I'm going to do something, I'll do it properly. Yeah. And therefore, you're not that spontaneous because you know that you don't want to do just something randomly because you you want to finish it. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, I like to do lists. And also, that's why I get stressed out at work. Even if I'm somewhere where no one will ever check up on me. And to be honest, no one ever knows what a speech and language therapist actually does. So I could just do whatever I like. But I'm really conscientious, so I have to... Like, for myself, I have to do a really good job. Is it the Amish that are quite conscientious they, they no, make it's, sure it's a quaker thing that the right. inside of a product is as good as the outside yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah but that's because god can see everything that's not so much because mm-hmm. they're conscientious mm-hmm. anyway. that's an element of conscientiousness i guess spiritually speaking mm. if you feel that god can see everything you're doing then there's an element of conscientiousness there mm. um that that might resonate with you and you and you'd pull out that characteristic of god into your life but maybe mm. like and i'm going to try my hardest but and i might screw up but i know that god will forgive me is maybe more of an extroverted or open mm. way of viewing God. I hadn't, we hadn't thought about that, have we, like in this, when we're talking about this, the idea that we probably then project our own personality types onto, onto God. what God is, yeah. Yeah. Which, again, when you've got the element of this kind of sanctity of talking about God and talking about an inspired holy book. Yeah, if you're projecting your conscientiousness yeah, onto but, that. But when you can see other people doing that as well, you know, certain people have a view of God that God is vengeful and is wrathful and all that kind of stuff. Other people are just kind of like, no, it's all about love and forgiveness, all this kind of stuff. It's often projecting your own personality onto God, isn't it? So when you can see other people doing that and you've got something that is divine and and has an element of sanctity and holiness to it, it's even more kind of provoking because it Mm, seems more mm. important, doesn't it? Agreeableness, we were kind of the same, which surprises me because I think I'm a lot more agreeable than you (laughs) 
However, so this this is where it comes in that a trait like agreeableness has two inputs Mm -hmm. and those inputs are politeness or compassion so there's two different reasons why you might manifest that personality trait so we scored in that test quite similar for agreeableness but I'd say we're agreeable in very very different ways Mm. I would say I'm kind of very anal and polite about things um, but you're very very compassionate so like if we were going to someone's house and there was the bit after lunch, I would sort of hang around in an effort to sort of try and tidy up, even though it's clear they we're the guests and they just want us to go sit down. Whereas you would just stride straight into the lounge. <laughs> Whereas I'd be like, oh, I'm really awkward about it. But um, with people who are having difficulty or people who are kind of really maybe struggling socially, you are very, very compassionate and very good at doing really meaningful work with those people. So my take on that would be... <laughs> I complimented you. We're both agreeable. If if I knew that we were around someone's house and they were going to do the washing up, if I knew that they were the sort of person that really didn't want us to help them do the washing up, they would just get on with it, it'd be fine. I wouldn't bother with the polite nicety of of even pretending to ask them to do the washing up. I'd just be like, they clearly don't want us to wash up. I'll just go and sit down somewhere. Whereas I think you would still go through maybe that routine of, are you yeah, sure? Yeah. Can I help you do something? Whereas I'd just ignore that <laughs> because it's out of a, it's out of what that person wants. Yeah, it's wants. a genuine thing. Yeah, yeah. It makes me think of um, lots of conversations I've had about head covering where someone will say, I don't have a particular um, opinion on it or no, I don't think people should have to wear them at all but I know that it'll really rock the boat so I'm not going to say anything Mm. that for me is an element of agreeableness and it takes someone with a quite a low level of agreeableness to be one of those people who kind of rocks the boat and kind of goes for it maybe out of compassion yeah they're agreeable in in a compassionate way with people that are really struggling with Mm. it so therefore on their behalf they won't drop it and they'll pick it up so you can be agreeable in two different ways, mm. yeah. So the next one on the on the list is neuroticism, and this is the one where we're almost furthest apart. That you scored zero for neuroticism, whereas I scored quite highly I for neuroticism. Zero. Uh, well, you scored sort of one, but okay. yeah, zero. Whereas I scored quite high. <laughs> so neuroticism is the one that quite clearly shows the underlying two grandfather traits that all of these traits come out of which is stability and plasticity. If you want stability, you're going to be quite neurotic. If you're happy with plasticity, you're not going to be neurotic at all. Um, I guess so. I, d- I think it's quite... Because maybe at work, people would describe me as very, very flexible and, um, yeah, I'm really, really relaxed. <laughs> but mm. So that's maybe because you're in an environment where yeah, you particular type are of in control... Um, I guess so, and maybe certain personalities in that work environment that I contrast against. (laughs) Sure. They're quite different. Yeah, that's an interesting point, actually. I think if if you are even a little bit less neurotic than other people, that'll maybe your play. Yeah, and I I think that's really important as well to remember that we're not all black and white Mm. with one of these. In certain situations, I can be incredibly flexible, but in other situations, 
I get really, really stressed out and just need... Yeah. yeah so stability. there's a potential that say you're in a situation with lots of neurotic people that are kind of really making sure everything is stable you can afford to be less neurotic mm-hmm. and you can afford to throw in some new ideas or, or or be different because actually maybe you feel like you're in a stable space mm. um, because of other people's neuroticism um whereas if suddenly all those neurotic people leave and you're left to be the only person in charge your neuroticism probably doubles down yeah, and it would come come to the fore a lot more yeah. in that sort of situation so if you feel like you're the only person who's volunteering for anything you're the only one doing sunday school or mm. the only one who's ensuring that a certain person gets to bible class every week then you can really double down on that it gets really stressful and you can start kind of yeah kind of blaming other people and thinking about other people in a certain mm, way mm. So the next one is openness. And for this is the one where we're most similar, um, that we score very, very highly in openness. And the the idea of the open personality trait really reminds me of a Bible class that we once had where someone did uh, a talk just giving examples of where the Bible references homosexuality as a sin, went through each of those and explained how they're not necessarily applicable to uh, our modern day understanding of a kind of... a gay couple. Yeah, of just a monogamous, faithful, consensual, homosexual relationship, basically. Yeah, so there were like verses that were probably about yeah, gay rape or yeah, well, exactly. horrible things. Yeah, that were like... and to do with like idol worship and paedophilia and yeah. more to do with like the Greek and Roman culture at the time and that kind of thing. And it was really, really interesting. I don't want to um, simplify everyone down to these personality types. There's obviously lots of reasons why people react in different ways to things. But I remember there were two polar opposites in the room of one lady who was just kind of, no, 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 like absolutely hated the idea and couldn't even even begin to engage in a conversation about it, it just completely rejected. Yet there was another person who um, is a really, really open person. And I remember them, like, as the talk went on, like, wow, wow, this is, ama- this is amazing. And kind of even, I remember them shuffling forward on the floor to look at the computer even more. Then after the talk was over, like, flicking back through the thing and saying, well, wow, I've never heard this before. Well, if, you know, if we as a church sit down and we look at this and we study it further and, and we really, truly believe that this is what, this is what it means, then surely we can think of another way of doing things. And I just remember thinking, wow, that person is so open. They're not at all scared of this. They're not threat mm, of us mm, at all. Mm. And I just remember that just really struck me. And when you're saying sort of someone who is kind of plastic and someone who's stable, someone who is open, someone who is um, like conscientious and threat of us, those are the kind of two exact mm, opposite mm, reasons. Mm. It's obviously not that simple, but that's the example that kind of mm. came to my mind. Um, you said something really important at the start of that um, anecdote, which was we shouldn't use these traits to to box people Definitely not, no. into them and say, yeah, okay, yeah. that person's a conscientious person, therefore I can manipulate them in this way. Mm. All that sort of thing. This is, I think, one of the main veins in our podcast is to use these things for yourself, to understand yourself. If If someone has been, you know, 40 years through their life, and they've ended up with these character traits, you're not going to be able to change them. And you shouldn't manipulate them because of what their character traits are. Each of these character traits has a positive and a negative side to it. And maybe you need to be more conscientious and you can develop that as a trait. That's only something that you can do yourself. Um, So what are different reasons why you might be an open person? So you said each each personality trait kind of has two 
for openness, the two, it's actually labelled openness again and intelligence. Mm. Maybe it can sound snobbish. Is yeah, using the word intelligence. Yeah, is, yeah. Um, it's the metric yeah, they use yeah. though. Um, yeah, so yeah. your your sec your second person who's more interested has, you know, I'm not sure how fair it is to say that they're more intelligent. Well, no, not necessarily because we're not we're talking about a single trait of openness, which that person is an extreme example of. And in that case, I wouldn't say that it's because in her head she'd suddenly calibrated every single reference in the Bible cross-referenced it against her Greek and Roman classical knowledge and said, yes, this is absolutely right. Mm. She was just incredibly unthreat-averse and was happy to explore new ideas and not Mm -hmm. be scared of the consequences. Whereas another person might be sitting there thinking, yeah... I have a knowledge of classics or I'm going to go home and I'm a very, very intelligent person. I have the capability to go and... Research all of this. Compute it all. Yeah. um, Critically analyse it all and trust their own intelligence to say, yes, now I've come to that conclusion. I'm happy to go with that. Yeah. Or no, it doesn't make sense. I don't... Yeah, yeah. I don't want to... But even in stepping forward and doing that investigation, you have to be open, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Because there could be very intelligent people who are just very threat averse Mm -hmm. and even kind of be thinking... I don't want to go down that road because I think I know where it takes me mm-hmm. and I'm too scared of the consequences. Well, you do get very intelligent people who are neurotic. Mm, um, yeah, absolutely. And they often double down on trying to find maybe scientific academic re- reasons, reasons yeah. to stay neurotic. So are far more likely to say, no, that's the interpretation. This is what our group believes. Staying within the group is by far the safest thing. So I'm going to kind of use my intelligence to, like you said, double down on what are the reasons why this is definitely historically and scientifically yeah, yeah, yeah. true. I'm going, to go into, I'm going to research and use my mm. intelligence to research all of the geological information to, mm-hmm. to find reasons why. Yeah, yeah. Why our interpretation is definitely the same. Or... And ultimately nothing has to change. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so the last one is extroversion. And again, I think this is to do with different types of extroversion, but we were kind of the same, weren't we? We were both a little bit higher than average in extroversion. So, Tom, what are the two? What are the uh, two so elements of extroversion? And enthusiasm. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So we did talk about this, didn't we? So certain people are just incredibly assertive and can get just get everyone to do what they say, like really influential. Mm-hmm. Whereas other people maybe have more just an innate infectious enthusiasm. And I'd yeah. say you're more the kind of infectious enthusiasm kind of thing. Mm-hmm. People just go along with you because you're having such a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas you may not have thought about the plan. <laughs> I'll have what he's having. These aren't kind of scientific absolutes, are they? But I've heard extroversion and introversion described as if you're an extrovert, you get energy from being around people. If you're an introvert, you're more likely to find it exhausting. For me personally, I still don't really understand if I'm an introvert or an extrovert because there are times when I find social interaction completely exhausting. But I know that, for example, today, Tom, you've just been working from home all day long. Mm -hmm. Whereas if that had been me, I would be incredibly depressed at the moment because I need some sort of really meaningful Mm -hmm. human interaction. I couldn't possibly ever spend the day on my own. it's interesting that... Since we've been married, we've swapped a little bit Mm. in that regard. Like before we were married, I don't think I had much relational stability. So I would be always going out looking for people to hang out with and not seeking out the ladies on my own. (laughs) Uh, But now I have a relational stability. I'm more content to be on my Mm. own. 
Whereas I think now that you have relational stability, you're more... Yeah, kind of safety to come back to. I'm far more brave with... Going out and yeah, finding yeah. people to, to talk to so you can come back and, yeah, to yeah. me and then go back out again. Definitely. Um, so these are these are in no way black and white personality traits, no, aren't they? They're no, no, so no, no. complicated. So they do have they do have an environmental factor to it, hmm. to them. Like they're situational, certainly. Like the environment accounts for some of it, but the majority of it is your genes. The reason... According to this theory. Yes. You know, it might, could be just proved again next week but the reason but the reason that you as you get older you end up thinking that i'm becoming more and more like my parents because you share the same set of dna Mm. and you are predisposed to become like them so i think in terms of self-awareness lots of things that we've been talking about in all these podcasts it all comes down to making relationships really mm-hmm. and if you can kind of recognize that person isn't standing on their own on purpose or isn't being moody because they just want to come and be petulant that person is actually having a really hard time they're finding this whole thing really really exhausting so kind of being more forgiving towards people who come across like that and maybe using that awareness when you maybe try and build a better relationship with them, like take someone along with you who's a who's an extrovert who can help the conversation along or mm. maybe strike up a conversation with them around like, oh gosh, this is exhausting, isn't it? It's a really, it's a bit really busy room. I never quite know who to talk to, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But you just mentioned, Tom, the other type of extroversion, which is someone who's just really, really assertive. And it makes me think of maybe people who have too much influence over their church Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so you can maybe see a church that really swings in one direction whereas actually it's kind of led by a person or a group of people who are just very very assertive and are quite hard to stand up to Mm -hmm. and i don't really know what you can do about that if you get a a group of assertive people that are surrounded by another group of very agreeable people Mm. then the agreeable people are led by the uh assertive people and it's very hard to actually have any other narratives come to the fore in that group yeah yeah and that could be really really difficult to challenge so you've got an analogy of a camping trip which might um highlight where some of these traits are kind of stereotypical Mm. or bring back terrible memories So when you're talking about either plasticity or stability, so plasticity is kind of being flexible, stability is being more threat averse, that kind of thing. It made me think of, so in the same way as everyone has a mix of these personality types, traits within their own personality, no one is exactly one or the other. Everyone's got a bit of all of it. And that's how a healthy personality works. For a functional group of people, you kind of also need a mix of those things. So maybe think of if you're going camping, it's the people who have a higher level of stability who are going to be looking ahead at the weather, double checking that everything's booked, making sure you've got the tent poles packed in the tent, you know, planning all the meals, having a look to see what we're going to do on each day. Mm. Yeah, your list is twice as long as mine. Absolutely. You don't have, you never have a list. I don't have a list. Um, so it means that camping A goes ahead and B there's no massive disasters like oh we forgot the tent however the plastic people are the people who kind of make the camping more fun and potentially it's Tuesday we're going on the trip to the cider farm whereas a plastic person might say hey I just met a cool person when I was washing up and they go to a gig and they said there's a party on the beach it means actually it's like oh cool then everyone goes and does that instead so but it would only have been initiated by a kind of plastic person but you needed the backup plan Mm -hmm. from the stable person maybe if there's a disaster 
I'm thinking of my dad here. Uh, if the tent blows away in the middle of the night, it's the plastic people who can, you know, cobble together a tarpaulin and lash um, ropes to a car and... They do very risky things oh, yeah, in that yeah. moment. To, and stuff that would never last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in that moment can be really flexible and do something very inventive to save the day. Yeah. Whereas in the morning, it's the st- stable people who are like, right then, this is where, where we're going to go and buy a new tent or this is a hotel we can go and book into, that mm, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, all the, the the stable people could save the day by going, don't worry, I brought a spare tent. Oh, absolutely. And it would be and it'd be a hell of a lot easier than whatever the plastic people Indeed. are trying to do in that... In that... Stable people always save the day. <laughs> well, they, they... The best ones. Unless something really left field comes in. <laughs> um, if it's just plastic people going on a camping trip, right, mm-hmm. they would not pack enough stuff... It would be a disaster. They'd probably get wet and cold, but they'd probably really enjoy it as well. Yeah. They'd be able to enjoy it. If it were a bunch of plastic people and one stable person, the plastic people would all be having a great time de- despite it being utterly haphazard. Yeah. And, and the stable person would be hating every absolutely. second of it. Switch I've it around, I've been in that though, situation where the stable people go, no, 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 a different <laughs> one, where the stable people basically go on strike. And right. then, um, and then the plastic people were not having such a good time. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Yeah, but sorry. then you can, you can switch around. Like if it's all stable people going, and one plastic person goes along with them, they might have a really rigid, mm. formulaic way of doing everything. And the plastic person's like, "Oh, can we stop here? Look at that thing. It looks great." No, we're driving. No, past. don't be an idiot. Yeah, we're doing yeah. This. yeah. And like, I think I've been that plastic one, one plastic idiot, Billy, Billy plastic, no mates. <laughs> Plastic um, Billy no mates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, so there's 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 conflicts within all of yeah. these things, and I think the important thing, as we we're trying to get across, is that um, we're different, mm. and you you it's, it makes it worse if you pick on that one person who's on their own and goes, oh, well, you you know you you're not like the rest of us. Yeah, like, yeah. that's what polarization is. And maybe it? this would give give you more self awareness to kind of look at the dynamics within a group with friendship group. Or even a church to say like, oh yeah, we lean more in this direction. So these probably people probably feel a bit more on the fringes, ostracized maybe, yeah. and feel like their ideas or their ideas are sort of dismissed or things are going too fast for them, that kind of thing. And it's your you've got that interesting analogy about the Garden of Eden with rivers flowing through it. Mm. The idea that you need the the push and the pull you need both types so you need people with different moral matrices you need people with different personality types different backgrounds to keep things in a steady kind of dynamism so there's Mm. a slow rate of change but it is held by the kind of the walls of the garden of eden Mm. because if you've got only plastic people in a church then it's just like, yeah, try this and try this and try this and yeah, let's go with this and let's explore this. Whereas it's all kind of... It's not sustainable. Yeah, not sustainable. Whereas like if... the amount of fun you can have on a terribly badly organised camping trip is temporary. <laughs> <laughs> it exhausts itself after a while and you get miserable because you're all soaking yeah. wet and yeah, cold. Whereas if you had a church with only kind of stable people who were conscientious, more neurotic, more agreeable, then... And and kind of that overarching kind of threat averse side. Mm. You are just going to get a group of people who don't change, and maybe change will come, but in a, an unpleasant kind of unexpected kind of way. So mm-hmm. I think it's good to think about your own groups that you belong to, whether mm-hmm. it's a friendship group or a church or a family, and think where are we 
Mm-hmm. How do our personality traits kind of affect the uh, the dynamics of our group and the progress of our group? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to read a bit of uh, the Jonathan Hyatt book that looks into twin studies on this sort of thing. So the personality that we end up with is, as you said, kind of biological. It's dictated in a way by our genes. There are twin studies that are very interesting um, that kind of show that twins that were raised in separate families often end up with the same character traits as their parents, their their non-adopted parents, their real parents, suggesting that many things in our lives are dictated by our nature rather than the way that we were grown up. Um, and that to me is so surprising that mm. goes against the way i think about everything for me everything is nurture mm. but um but yeah it's it's really interesting isn't it that part of the book it's quite shocking actually yeah the idea that so much is genes uh another good book on that topic which i'm listening to and will possibly feed back to uh, about in another podcast is a blueprint how dna makes us who we are by robert plomin P-L-O-M-I-N, plumbing. So Jonathan Hyatt says, Genes contribute somehow to just about every aspect of our personalities. Being raised in a liberal or conservative household accounts for much less. How can that be? How can there be a genetic basis for attitudes about nuclear power, progressive taxation and foreign aid when these issues only emerged in the last century or two? And how can there be a genetic basis for ideology when people sometimes change their political parties as adults. Innate does not mean unmalleable. It means organised in advance of experience. And that's the thing about this this level of serotonin and this level of dopamine that we have, that, that our genes dictate. So I think weight is a good example of this. Our genes actually dictate kind of how easily we put on and lose weight. However, it's our environment that enables those genes to kind of be activated. So if we live in an environment where there isn't much food and food is scarce, you're you're not going to put on any weight anyway. But this explosion of obesity in the West has happened because those fast food, high calorific... So those genes now have an opportunity to manifest. Yeah, so if your genes predispose you to eat lots of high calorific food then when all that high calorific food enters the environment you're going to be predisposed to eat it whereas if you're predisposed to to not eat high calorific food even when that food is in the environment you're not going to want to eat it um i thought it was more if your metabolism it's not so much you want to eat it it's more when you have eaten it when you're just eating the same as everybody else and having a mcdonald's once a week you put on that weight more than other people would did the book go into how that works? So that, there might be there might be two. There's probably okay. I've simplified it, but there might be two elements to it: how mm. much you want that food genetically, and then how much maybe your metabolism works is another genetic. Um, there's there's many factors to it, but it's the same when you take out the environmental factor, you end up with people that have different dispositions, and then you put them in the environment, they will their weight will change mm. differently. So in terms of being relevant to our podcast. Well, I would look around and say, oh, you know, people, there are certain conservative families and the reason why their kids are also conservative is because they're just brought up in that conservative environment. Mm. But actually, 
I can see if you move to a new place and you are genetically conservative or liberal in your way of thinking, you're going to join one of those meetings, aren't you? And yeah. you're going to kind of take whatever opportunities kind of take your journey mm-hmm. in those directions. So you mean, don't be disappointed when you're having conversations with people that feel like they're futile and the person's not changing their mind or they're really digging their heels in. Mm. Or if you can't understand why someone's taking a certain view when it's clearly upsetting people or someone wants to do something when it doesn't seem like a very conscientious thing to do. Like these are kind of inbuilt traits that we have. Yeah. And maybe be more aware that if you're going to have a conversation, you may need to structure the entire thing to allow for some stability for some people. Yeah, maybe be aware that, okay, this person is highly conscientious and uh, maybe neurotic. I'm going to be gentle with them. You need to be able to be that person that says, listen, I've got this idea. You might see it as a pathogen. And I will approach you gently with it so you don't feel as threatened by it. Or, you know, I can be gentle as a dove to you. In terms of practical things to take away, it is quite useful to do this kind of test. And maybe you and, you know, your close friend or you and your partner could do it. And then just think about the way you interact yeah, yeah. because of what obviously we're talking about in this podcast like how we interact in the Christadelphian sphere like think mm. about like oh yeah that was a really difficult conversation oh because that person is super extroverted and open and they just want to go for everything whereas I'm really conscientious yeah, and I'm I was really worried say, about it, offending it, these people and it makes you give allowances to other people yeah, for the yeah. way that they yeah. behave sometimes but realizing why something really affects <clears throat> you And I think also a warning is don't use a personality test to double down on the way that you are and decide to not change. This this personality test says I'm an extrovert. I'm quite proud of being an extrovert. So I'm going to be a div all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to just flout that. And And um, everyone else will tidy up after me. The idea is to be uh, (laughs) self-aware maybe. But also to not beat yourself up when people have an issue with you for for maybe wanting to ask more questions and open more things up and people being like, oh, can't you just be happy to believe this and yeah yeah and be quiet and stop annoying people yeah yeah no and this is like a healthy thing that we should have a mixture of people Mm -hmm. in our community so that we can open things up but also like have some stability when we need to when we're going through the mundane the regular things that we need to get done in our ecclesias let me just read this because it's this is interesting as to how we end up with the personality we end up with and i think that's a useful thing to understand as well so this is uh, continuing on the, from with the John Hyatt content from his book, The Righteous Mind. Let's imagine a pair of fraternal twins, a brother and a sister raised together in the same home. During their nine months together in the womb, the brother's genes constructed a brain that was a bit higher than average in sensitivity to threats, so high in serotonin, a bit lower than average in its tendency to feel pleasure when exposed to radically new experiences, so lower in dopamine. The sister's genes made a brain with the opposite settings. The two siblings attended the same schools, but they gradually create different worlds for themselves. Even in nursery school, their behaviour causes adults to treat them differently. 
One study found that women who called themselves liberals as adults had been rated by their nursery school teachers as having traits consistent with threat insensitivity and novelty seeking. But traits such as novelty seeking are just the first level of personality. The second level is our characteristic adaptations. So he's showing in this story how the girl from this set of twins who's got less threatened version and high novelty seeking is already at nursery school considered by her teachers in a particular way. So the environment is already treating this girl maybe differently as it would treat the brother. And so they're already on different paths because of the slight differences in their behaviour from birth. It continues, these are traits that emerge as we grow. They are called adaptions because people develop them in response to specific environments and challenges they happen to face. Let's follow our twins into adolescence, and let's suppose that they attend a fairly strict and well-ordered school. The brother fits in well, but the sister engages in constant battles with the teachers. She becomes angry and socially disengaged. These are now parts of her personality, her characteristic adaptations, but they would not have developed had she gone to a more progressive and less structured school. The sister chooses to go to college in New York City where she majors in Latin American studies and finds her calling as an advocate for children of illegal immigrants. Because her social circle is entirely composed of liberals, she is enmeshed in a moral matrix based primarily on the psychology of care and compassion. So, basically, these starting points they have mean that people react to them in different ways and set them off on different paths. And this uh, the sister ends up more open because her experiences mean that she goes more into art more into care and compassion foundations and things so she might be quite agreeable but she's certainly probably going to be more extroverted she knows how to fight her battles she's gotten into scrapes at school and into arguments with the authorities and she, she probably built confidence from that the brother in contrast, has no interest in moving far away to a dirty and threatening city. He stays close to his family and friends, earns a degree in business and then works for a local bank. He becomes a pillar of his church and his community. There is occasional talk in church of helping victims of oppression, but the most common moral themes in his life are personal responsibility and loyalty. So the brother develops, through his environment, a personality that is more conscientious, maybe more neurotic, but maybe has some extroversion because of his leadership role and his assertiveness, right? Um, so his initial innate personality traits are being reinforced by his life choices that he mm, chooses mm. to do conservative-style things yeah, and yeah. spend or time with conservative his parents' life choices people. in terms of what school they went to and what sort of the teachers he kind of encountered and things. So for me, I can relate it to this in terms of I went to a school where the music teacher was excellent. She uh, organised lots of brilliant music trips and the music room was always open for us to go and play music and practice music and things. And having that space for being creative probably led me to being able to practice that trait and being more open in terms of exploring new music um, making friends uh, and performing and doing those kind of extroverted things right that was a real foundational thing for me and so 
I'm predisposed to that in my genes and that environment allowed that to nurture. If that music department hadn't been there and I went to a school that was less interested in the arts, I may have become more rebellious because I would have come up against a, more of a brick wall in terms of having an outlet for that sort of thing. And that could have changed my personality. That's a good place to stop. So the WCF have some podcasts called A Little Faith and their latest one is called In Conversation with USA Bevia. He shares how music is a vital part of expressing his faith and giving glory to God. Uh, playing the piano and creating music is a place of communing with the divine and being a vessel for it. He expresses how natural beauty and creation are such a source of inspiration for his musical composition. Um, so that sounds really interesting. Check, check it out.